Whether it be in the New South Wales Ranges, Riverside in the Northern Territory, above treeline in New Zealand or Colorado, or in the tundra of Alaska, Hunting Camp is where the best stories are shared. Join me as I bring some of these stories to you, along with tips and techniques from some of the known and not so well known hunters of Australia and around the world. Welcome to Hunting Camp Down Under. Well, hey everyone, welcome to another episode of Hunting Camp Down Under. I'm your host, Craig Hales. Super excited for this episode. Um, it's been a long time coming to get this one recorded, um, and it, it's turned out an absolute treat. Um, it's a very long one. Um, today we've got Benny Solaris. Um, we ended up just talking, talking, and, and a bit more talking. And uh, So I'm going to split this one into two parts. It's going to be part one and part two. They're both going to be pretty lengthy, So, um, but obviously Benny's uh, he's a man that gets around the world, does plenty of hunting. And he has so many stories to share, and you know, in half the time he couldn't even really get into the the full story of it. So I think we'll we'll have him back on and 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 pick apart some of these adventures he's had, you know, all around the world and here in Australia. So um, I think you guys are really going to love this one, and um, you know, I'd love to hear some feedback and, and any questions you've got that you'd like me to uh, to ask Ben. If you if you want to know a little bit more info, um, please yeah, shout out to me, and um, I'll be more than happy to help out. So. Um, obviously, we're getting very close, a couple of days left till Christmas. Um, I hope everyone's got their plans in order. Um, summer's certainly here. We had, um, had a cracker day yesterday, 45 degrees here on the coast. I'm only 20 minutes from the coast where I live. Um, and then we had a storm front come through and drop a nice bit of rain today, so back down into the 20s. So hard to sort of get your head around this weather, but um, hopefully a little bit of growth for the the upcoming deer season hopefully this moisture is not too late to um to get some of them good heads growing so anyway guys uh all the best for christmas and new year i'll catch you guys the first year first week back in the new year uh, with another episode so i'll drop these ones uh, of ben's a couple of days apart so all the best stay safe and um, we'll see you next year thanks guys well hey everyone welcome to hunter camp down under i've got a pretty awesome guest with us today um Benny Solaris, how are you? Yeah, very good, thanks, mate. How are you travelling? Oh, doing all right, mate. I'm sitting out here with the kookaburras, and I'm going all right. Pretty yeah, good nice Sunday one. morning. It's hard. You're a hard man to catch. Yeah, yeah. It's been um, quite a whirlwind in the last yeah six months, or I probably could say six years. But yeah, no, it's <laughs> been very, very crazy the last um, the last little while. I've been all over the place, so I'm glad we finally. Um, Finally found the time, anyway, mate. Yeah, mate. Been, having been, yarn. been working a little while, but uh, mate, it's been a it's been awesome watching you. You're travelling around the countryside, mate, and over the world, and mate, I always look forward to your posts on Instagram. Yeah, well, I try and um, I try and put a few photos up, and um, yeah, keep keep my mates and family and everyone sort of up to speed on what's going on. I sort of <laughs> it has been pretty crazy the last, um, well, particularly this year, working overseas and and um doing a few hunts overseas and yeah logistically it's been quite challenging at times trying to trying to train and and um get me bow tuned and arrows sorted and yeah i've got i've got 20 different stories about things that have gone wrong in greece so far just trying to prepare for hunting <laughs> so um, no, it's all fun mate I'm nah, that's life. awesome well mate for for those that don't know you and there's probably not too many of them but um Give us a little bit of background. I guess initially, you've been at it forever, but initially, how your, your intro to archery and 
um, you know, where you took it, where you took it from there. Yeah, well, I consider myself very lucky that I, um, I had no choice but to have a bow in my hand from when I was very, very young. My old man was, um, was heavily into bow hunting, um, when I was born, I was born in 1984, and um, yeah, he was right into it then. Um, I was sort of surrounded by, I guess all of his mates were, were pretty keen bow hunters. Um, him and his mates started the Tully Bow Hunters Club in 1977, um, and they were quite a revered um, hunting club back in those days, like the late 70s and throughout the 80s and also through the 90s, I guess it was the Tully Bow Hunters are quite well known across Australia, particularly for their um, their, their boar hunting um, exploits. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, I didn't know anything different. Um, Dad, I, I, I had little uh, fiberglass bows and toy bows when I was really young, and I used to muck around in the backyard with him. But um, I think it was when I was about six that I got my first proper, or what I'd call a proper bow. Um, we were very lucky in that area. I grew up in the Mission Beach area, or Tully and Mission Beach, which is um, between Cairns and Townsville in far north Queensland. Yeah. We were very lucky that we had a, a an old um, legend by the name of Cliff Chew who was a bowyer up there, and he made absolutely beautiful longbows for many years. Um, Cliff was an ex-commando. He was a he was the nicest bloke you'd ever ever meet, and um, we all. We all um, saw him as an absolute legend in that in that um, part of the world. But he made beautiful longbows, and he made me my first bow when I was about six. It was a 30-pound 30, 30 longbow. It was the first sort of miniature longbow that he made. He used to make sort of full-length bows. And, and um, in those days up there, there was, I'd say, probably 5% of the fellas up there used compounds. Um, compounds weren't even... They were really, they were actually they were just despised at the Tully Bow Hunters Club. They weren't <laughs> sights weren't allowed back in those days, so you, you literally couldn't turn up to the club and shoot sights. They weren't actually permitted at the club. That's fine. Um, and very few people shot compounds, so I only knew longbows, and a few guys shot recurves as well. Um, so yeah, I I used to shoot with Dad in the backyard, and um, and I, I guess I got to an age where I started to go hunting with him around the same age, probably six. Um, funny story, the, f- the first hunt I ever did was out to a property out past um, or out near Longreach. It was the very first hunting trip I ever did. It was with um, with Bill and David Ware, who were well, well-known and well-respected blokes from that area. Um, we went chasing goats out at a property called Biracanya, which a lot of people have probably heard of, but we literally did not see a single goat the entire trip. Um, they'd all been mustered and there was nothing there. We didn't. We hardly saw an animal, but very last day as we were driving out, we saw one little mob on the side of the road, on the side of the driveway, and Dad took me out and got me into position on a – on it was a nanny and two young kids, and we got into this little gully, and they sort of fed towards us, and um, I had a shot with me, little longbow, and um, – I had, I think I had Davies deltas or something on the front end, and yep. like we, the arrows were like knitting needles, and I lobbed a shot at this nanny and hit her in the right on the point of the shoulder, and probably at about 15 meters, and hit her spot on, like it would have been a A zone shot, like it was perfect, but the broadhead didn't penetrate past the ferrule. It literally just <laughs> went into the tip of the tip of the broadhead went in, and then it just the arrow just fell out the side, and she, she just looked around, she didn't even know what it was. 
that was my first ever hunt. And then after that, we, yeah, dad started to take me up the Cape. And, um, yeah, I used to, we used to get up there a few times a year, um, back in those days. And yeah, um, that was my, I guess that was my, um, training ground really was, was Cape York. And it's still, I still sort of class it as my spiritual homeland, really the Cape York. I, I get up there most years at least once and, um, I'll never, I'll never ever stop going there. You know, like it's just one of those places that just gets in your blood and, um, it's, there's just so many special things about it. It's, there's nowhere else like it in the world, but, um, yeah, so I did a lot of hunting up the Cape for those following years. That's, I guess in that area, boars was what we had available and a couple of the other blokes in the club hunted goats occasionally down south and deer weren't even on the agenda then. Um, we knew, we knew about deer and I guess a few people had, people had hunted red deer down in the Brisbane Valley and that and a few fallow in New South Wales, but deer hunting wasn't really a thing that people did with bows really at that, at that stage. It just, they weren't on the agenda. So pigs was, pigs was really everything. So, um, yeah, I guess for those formative years, hunting up the Cape with dad was, um, was just it. That's just what I lived for. And I knew nothing else. And, um, I wasn't, um, I wasn't sort of, uh, interested in much else except for going to school and, and hunting. Like they were the two things I, I wasn't interested in playing footy or soccer yeah. and I was pretty useless at all those things anyway. So I didn't really <laughs> pursue them much, but, um, yeah, they were the, they were the beginnings, I guess that's where, it, that's where it started. So really to answer your question, yeah, that was, I, I just, I had no choice. That was just the way, it, the way it panned out and that was just because of the parents I was born to. So you're more born into archery rather than introduced to it. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. No, I literally had no choice. There was just, yeah, I was. It was always gonna, it was always gonna pan out that way. And um, yeah, I'm very glad that it did. I often think, um, I often think about like, or imagine if my dad was like really into golf or <laughs> line dancing or something, and I just, I think about the possibilities of how life might have been. And I, it's, it actually scares me to think about those other, um, those other possibilities. Yeah, it's just crazy. Bloody glad. It's yeah. <laughs> It's amazing. I can't imagine life. I can't imagine life being any other way. And I, it scares me to think of it being other, any other way. It really, it really does. And um, yeah, it was. It's interesting because his, my old man's father never hunted, and he just still sort of questions what we do a bit now. He's not yeah, um, interesting. He's, he's not into it, and he's not really. He's not really a big fan, and um, Dad got into it. He he used to he grew up in Tully and sort of started to hang around blokes that that hunted pigs with guns when he was sort of late high school and started chasing pigs with rifles. I guess in the early seventies, and then there was just a very interesting mix of blokes in Tully at that point in time in the early seventies that just sort of the local fishing shop, which is now um, Barrier Reef Tackle Village, owned by Riley Newton. That shop back then started to stock a, bit, a few bows and a bit of archery gear, and yeah, just a f- the right culmination of different blokes sort of got together and started to buy a bit of gear, and and then they started hunting with bows. And um, Dad was um, Dad was at a certain stage there was driving for a tour company up to the tip of the Cape and back in the mid '70s, so he sort of and that was back before there was bridges a lot of, across a lot of those crossings, like they were still yep. still just. Yeah, just straight through the rivers and that. So it was pretty wild days back then, the road up to the tip. But he managed to figure out a lot of country between 
yeah, between Tully and the tip. So he sort of worked out where the balls were and started to figure out where the better ivory was. And um, yeah, so they sort of that sort of opened up the cape a bit, and they really those boys really started hitting it up around those around that time. What do you think and, it was? Um, I mean, like I've always known as you know, like the the Tully bow hunters and you know a few other guys that you know they were putting DVDs out and broadheads. And it, what do you reckon it was just coincidence that it was just that area? There was just that a coincidence with a bunch of guys that you know that took it to the next level, so to speak. Or was there something else there that you know brought all those guys together? You think? Yeah, I think it's. I think there's a bit of coincidence there, and just the right um, the right uh, combination of personalities, I think, over yep. a long period of time, um, and a real forming of a of a of a culture and a and a brotherhood over over many years. And and there's been there was times there where the where there was just so many uh, so many such serious and active um, bow hunters, um, yeah, over the years from yeah from the mid seventies through to even through to the present day, like there yeah, was still times there strong. when there was many, yeah, the club's still going. It's it's there's still there's still a membership there, and I don't think there's quite the number of active hunters that, that there used to be. There's been different dramas that have happened over the years, and yeah, different clashes with personalities and whatever, which happens in clubs. And I think that I think the club scene across Australia has changed a lot um, in the last twenty years. With I think with things like the internet and social media and whatever, I. I think the just that general local club scene isn't what it used to be. I'm sure it's still strong in some areas, and mm. there's, there must be clubs out there that are still thriving. But yeah, I don't think people have quite got the time, and just don't have the need as much as they used to. To like in those days, you went to your club, and that's where you showed your photos and told your stories and had a yeah. yarn with people and talked about gear and that's everything. where people learnt. Yeah, yeah, that's where you learnt things. That's exactly right. Um, there was magazines, but there was no. Um, there was no internet. I, I think the biggest, the key factor really there is the internet. It, yeah, definitely. It changed a lot of things. And, yeah. Um, but yeah, I, I think it was just a yeah, combination of the right characters. It's it's close to the Cape. Um, and yeah, that culture was there. And it. I think like a positive, when there's a positive vibe in a club and, and positive characters and, and um, something a spirit in the club that people want to be a part of, well, then that attracts more people and attracts more members. Definitely. And, and I think Tully had a good way. Or Tully basically did a did a good job over most of those years of keeping out. Um, yeah, I don't know how to say it politely, but yeah, there was <laughs> keeping out the, the club shit. kept out the wankers. Yeah, kept out the wankers. Yeah, so there yep. was no infiltration of wankers. Whereas on a lot of clubs that happened, and clubs fell apart, like in mm. Cairns and. Uh, different places so yeah so very I, I, I think I was very very lucky to have that to just be to have landed in that particular place in that particular time and um, yeah to, to have that as a, a learning a learning ground and somewhere to yeah somewhere to learn and 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 meet so many people and sort of get kicked off that was yeah couldn't ask for a better start really yeah no it's awesome mate it's um it's funny you know you mentioned a name there the wares before and and i know you knew uh you know i was lucky enough to hunt a property uh, a few years back and um you know that those guys have been going there for 25 years you know and and yeah. still held very highly yeah. um you know from the manager's point of view and, and the owners and that kind of stuff and i thought like i sort of turned around and what that meant to me was that I, you know, not that I do it any other way, but you kind of had to keep that going from a bow hunter's mm. uh, 
point of view, I suppose you could say, it was like, well, they've done really well, so I've got to make sure I continue with this as well. To yeah. Make sure you're shedding in a good light, and which you know we did, and I still talk to the manager now, and um, yeah. I know you know I rang you for for some help up there, but you know I, I guess you know looking at that Tully area and and that Northern Queensland, it seems to be that there's just so much bow hunting space, if you want to call it, like no one's sort of jumping in each other's pocket. Where I guess down in these southern areas, where I guess things are a little bit more sort of concentrated as far as animals and stuff like that. You know that. I, I agree, think that's yeah. where a lot of the stuff happens. Yeah, I I do agree. There's, there is probably there is probably more space overall. Um, there are areas, or vast regions, where the pigs are more concentrated and the ivories of a better quality and and whatnot. There's obviously sweet spots, but um, and and particularly particularly in those years too, like the 70s and 80s and 90s, it was very open slather, and there was. There was almost no politics in terms of properties and getting access and whatever. It was just, yeah, you had your property and you went there and you just absolutely slayed it. Whereas the Cape's a lot different now. The Cape's changed a hell of a lot in the last in the last 20 years, but yeah, um, probably more so in the last 10. But I'll tell you a funny story. Thinking of Bill Ware, and he is he was one of the the pioneers up in that area. And yeah. I'd imagine 95% of people listening to the um, to our chat probably haven't even heard that name before, but. I remember when I was a kid, I was probably about five years old. Bill used to often be over at our place when I was a kid and um, talking about hunting and bow hunting and talking about the pigs he'd shot and what he'd got and what he'd seen and crocs and barra and all that sort of stuff. And I, was, I hadn't been up the Cape or anywhere up there at that age, but he, he, he used to go up the Gulf or what he called the Gulf, which is, which is pretty to, the same to me. The Gulf's just the, the western coastal part of the Cape. Yep, but, correct, yeah. When I was that age, I thought the I used to look at the sky and think that the golf was. Dad used to point at the sky and tell me that the golf was up there, <laughs> and I actually believe that the golf. What I what this picture of of the golf that I had in my in my head at that age was that it was so far away that it was actually up in space. Somewhere. <laughs> <laughs> I'll never forget that. Yeah, I used to have this this picture in my head that yeah it was just this far away magical place where there was these huge boars and barra and crocs and everything else and um well kind yeah, of is like heaven if you go up there well it is a bit you're right <laughs> yeah. it is it is heaven for a week or two weeks while you're oh, there. Yeah. yeah yeah exactly it's still uh it's still one of the trips i hold very highly it was um it was the first one i did on my own uh, to that particular place and i remember coming back and you know jumping on the phone to you i think nearly as soon as i get into service but um, oh, it's something different up there. I, you know, they say it's a bloke's paradise, but I don't know. I think it's just, I think it's just paradise for anybody that just loves the outback. It, it's got something for everyone, I reckon. Yeah, it gets in your blood. It's there's a lot of, um, there's a lot of different, um, a lot of different aspects to it that make it exciting. Well, yeah, and and make it attractive and and make it somewhere where you want to be. And it's a shame because it. it it was very much one of the last frontiers, really, in mm. Australia for They've a long time. It, up now. it is opening up more, and it's um, yeah, a lot of a lot of people will agree with me. I think that the, particularly in the quality of the ivory has has definitely dropped. We're still yeah. seeing good boars shot. Like there's been there's been fellas that have shot, still shot thirty fives and thirty six pointers lately, and um, they're still out there. But I think overall the quality of the ivory has diminished. The boars aren't getting the same. Um, age in them generally, yeah. they're still there, but they they just knock 
you're not getting as many boars getting to the same age as, as they used to. But regardless of that, that's just tusks. Regardless of that, everything else remains the same. Like um, the roads are more accessible and you are seeing more tourists and more weekend warriors and whatever getting up there and whatever. But the, the barrow will always be there and the scenery and the plants and the anthills and all that sort of stuff will always be there. The crocs will always be in the water. Um, yeah, it'll always be – it's always going to be a very, very, very special place for me. The only place that I know that's – Similar for me was Coburg Peninsula. That's yep. kind of like a Northern Territory version of the Cape. It's quite quite amazing as well. But, um, yeah, I hope that one day I can take my, my kids up the Cape and do exactly the same as what, what I was lucky enough to do when I was a kid. I, I can't wait for that. Yeah, definitely. That's a plan in progress for me now. So my, uh, yeah, my well, oldest one's nearly well close, me. but... Yeah, you've got you've got years on me. I've got, I've got to make some first, but it's definitely uh, it's definitely on the agenda. Yeah, <laughs> that's for sure, mate. Um, obviously, you know you, you've you kind of mentioned it there before. You know, your biggest influence would probably have to be your dad. Um, was there any other outside influence? You dropped a couple other names, but you know, does anyone stand out yeah. in your mind? Yeah, there are. Um, in terms of local people that were in my life. Um, Bill Hill would be this would be definitely second for me, um, and blokes like Cliff Chu, who was who was an absolute legend. Cliff um, Cliff was quite old when I was a kid, but he yeah, he passed away quite a few years ago now. Um, but Cliff was just a, an absolute gentleman and was a local bow. He made our longbows for us and made half the club's longbows. Um, Dave Keeble, I spent a hell of a lot of time with, and Dave's been a Big influence over my life. He's probably been like my second father uh, for for a, a lot of my life. Um, and yeah, Bill Hill, as I mentioned, was just in a category of his own um, as a character. We used to we used to call him the living legend while he was still living, and um, now he's now he's a legend. But he's yeah, he's he's one of the few people that I would really um, classify as a true legend of the sport. Um, not only because he would not only because he was just such a good bloke and such a character, one of the funniest bastards you'll ever, ever, ever meet. But he's just of a, he was of a vintage and a type of character that, yeah, that we don't see him much anymore like yeah. that. Bill's the sort of bloke that you'd, you'd, um, you'd be, I'd be a kid running around with me mate shooting toads or whatever at a Tully traditional shoot. And um, Bill was the sort of bloke that around the clubhouse, he would have, he'd be telling a story and, he could tell a story in a way that he would have every single person watching his story as an audience. There might have been 50 or 60 or 80 people standing around watching him act out a, or reenact a story. He was that sort of bloke. That's awesome. And, um, yeah, he obviously was a great hunter, amazing shot, probably the best shot that I've seen with, um, with a longbow or recurve. He was incredibly, incredibly good shot, just ridiculous. And... And also as an artist, his, I don't know if you know much about his, his artwork that he did. He's made probably hundreds of trophies for um, – he made plenty for trophy takers and for tully bow hunters and different different groups. Um, and his scrimshaw and knife work is just just absolutely um, absolutely amazing. He could just do anything. He was just – yeah, Did he write he a book? Just, no, I don't think so. He should have. But I don't – no, he definitely hasn't written a book. I'd have okay. it. But, yeah, he's – He's, um, I might be mixing it up with someone could. else. My dad talks about him, so I just, yeah, I'm just wondering how, how that connection is. I'll have to ask him. Yeah, he had the Australian record for a few years there. He, he, um, he's still got the number two bore 
um, for, for Bowshot boys. Bill's Bill's ball is still number two, like in ABA and Trophy Tags, it's still still the yeah. second biggest. Yeah, I, saw, I remember saying I got a lot of the older, you know, the really old magazines my dad kept and that kind of stuff. And yeah, oh, he was in, I reckon, every second magazine, I think. Yeah, but he, um, yeah, some of my fondest memories would be yeah, just spending time in the in the dad's single cab Hilux heading up the Cape. We did a lot, endless trips with Hilly. I'd be in the middle, dad'd be driving, and Hilly'd be on the in the passenger seat. I'd be squashed in that little <laughs> half seat in the middle, and and loving I'd just it. sit there silently and yeah, just loving it, just listening to his stories over, from over the years and hearing him and dad catch up and talk about bow hunting for for, for the six hours it took to get from Tully up to the Cape. But um, yeah, absolute legend. But yeah, that, they're local guys. Externally, like blokes that I didn't know in my own life that, that influenced me um, back in those early days um, before the internet, uh, as we come back to again, were, were the guys that I was reading about in the magazine. So the Australian Bow Hunting Journal was the yeah. was the key magazine back then, and that was our main um, that was our main sort of broader media i guess there was archery action as well which i used to read occasionally but it wasn't of the same quality as um as the other mags have ever been yeah but yeah people like mark ballard and dave whiting and dave james um brad smith and mick watts um those guys back in those days were writing the stories that used to make me froth the most in Mm -hmm. those in those days like um so they i guess when i was really young they were they were the blokes that I saw as, and and um, Daryl Bulger's another one as well. Like yeah. those guys were, those guys were just, um, yeah, they were just smashing it back in those days and just writing, like some of those blokes were doing hunts overseas. Bill Baker was another one as well. Of course, Bill's one of our most highly respected legends in in our community. Um, they were writing stories about going overseas and um, going to different places and hunting different species and and um, yeah, that was what. That was the that was real fuel for the fire, really. Like reading, getting the Australian Bowling Journal and reading those stories in those days was just was massive fuel for the fire. That just for me, that just made me just uh, just want to do those. Yeah, just just made me want to be able to experience those things and do those things when I could do it. And at at twelve or thirteen or whatever, you obviously couldn't. You didn't have a ute. You didn't have any money, but. But it definitely was the um, cultivation of dreams back in those days. So, so reading reading their stories and seeing what they were up to was yeah that was that was a major deal back then. And then later in life, I guess um, as I got older, probably blokes like the Stoyanovsky twins and um, another set of twins, the Southwells, who are, who are considered good mates of mine, and even more recently, people like um, people like Casey McCallum, Macca, um, just the 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 drive that those fellas have and the and what they've accomplished um, in their they're all of more of my generation more of a younger generation but what they've managed to do and what they've achieved in bowling is just absolutely absolutely phenomenal so I I take a lot of um I take a huge amount of inspiration from people like like blokes like that as well that are more of my my vintage as well like um yeah there's plenty of there's plenty to be inspired by by some of the stuff those fellas get up to. Yeah, I so, think um, I think yeah. with that, that's what um, I think you and I were talking about before we press the record button. But it um, when you see guys doing that kind of stuff, it, it makes it so much more doable. That's probably terrible English, but <laughs> it's. Oh, you, you know, said it exactly it, right. 
you know, you see it, see someone go, oh, you know, they're, they're, they're doing a, you know, I still remember you always talking your canoe trip up the Cape, you know, and I was like, man, that's one of the last things I'd think about doing, but man, that's, that's awesome. You know, I'm going to have to do that one day, you know, and yeah. it's just little things like that, you know, like to me, that's pretty out there, you know, just the logistics of that kind of hunt, you know, it doesn't matter where you're going, I suppose, but when you see someone else do it, it's like, well, obviously it's doable. That's right. It's exactly right. And there's, there's pioneer. There's been various stages of different pioneers in our in our Aussie bow hunting community. Like the the original guys, the, the very original guys who just started to hunt with a bow and arrow in this country, they were pioneers because they were the very very first ones to actually do anything with a bow in terms of hunting. Yeah. And then since that stage, there's been, well, since that time, I'd say I'd, I'd say that was really the 50s and 60s. Since that time, people have just pushed the pushed the boundaries a bit further and a bit further and done different things and. You saw guys going to going to Africa and doing hunts in Africa. Ed Lansky and Bill Baker and those guys in the in the 90s, and um, and the bar was just pushed and pushed, and the boundaries pushed further. And um, like you see someone like like Paul Southwell, who's a good mate of mine, who took his or took a a, a super nice wapiti in New Zealand, which is the first pure or first proper wapiti really that's been recorded taken with a bow ever and like that's just that's just on it's a, epic. On a some, yeah it's just on a level completely of its own like that's um and and plenty of other guys too and plenty of other achievements out there as well like i'd some of the older fellas must just look at us now and just think holy dooly <laughs> how what are these they just yeah they must be i think a lot of the old fellas are very proud and and very pleased with where we're taking the sport now in, in our modern era. They use I a few that words is. that we probably can't repeat on here too. I've had it said to <laughs> yeah. me. <laughs> yeah, they must. Uh, some of the old fellas must spin out a bit, I think. They must spin out when they see what, what we're getting up to these days. But um, no, the, ones that, the ones that I hear, the most most of the thing I had say is, man, I wish I had done that. Like they hold the yep. regrets. And I think that's what fuels, I know you and I are very similar in this way, like, that's what fuels me for moving forward is I don't want to say that in 20 years' time. I no. have I have blues with my father-in-law weekly about it because I work for him. And it's like, mate, I can't do I can't do what I do now in 20 years' time. You know what I mean? It's, it's going to yeah. be a whole other thing. You know, I'll sit back and I'll cruise around with the wife and do whatever I need to do in Australia. But, um, yeah. you know, for what we... And I think I think that's how a lot of us, you know, I know you, you spoke about Macca and... I know, you know, a few of the boys we already had on on the podcast, you know, we've all got the same sort of outlook. It's like, well, why aren't we doing it now? Let's just rip in. And I think that just, well, you know, people like yourself and, and me, you know, you take that to another level. Yeah, I don't, I certainly don't want to live with any regret. And I, um, um, yeah, I, it's not as if I've had a near, near death experience or anything like that. Like, there's been no specific thing that, made me like that but I just nah. I think I just realized when I was quite young that I was going to live my dreams I was going to do I was going to do the things that I really want to do and and um yeah the and I've I've, I've worked out how to make them happen and um yeah they they don't just fall on your lap they don't just grow on a tree you've got to you've got to work for them and you've got to make it happen like I didn't um yeah I I didn't come from a rich family or anything like that I I um I put like my my fam my old man's a farmer and my mum's an occupational therapist at the local hospital in Tully. Um, 
they put me through through um, high school at, at the state high school in town, and um, I went to uni. I and um, that wasn't exactly a smooth exercise <laughs> getting through uni. But the thing that drove me through that, like the the thing that um, made me want to do well and made me want to get through school and get through uni and get a job, was just 99% just thinking about hunts yeah. and what I could do in yeah. the future yeah. and living those dreams it was that was the that was the main driver I wasn't thinking about having a Maserati or a mansion or a, um, yeah I, I, those things weren't even on my mind it was purely the, the, the driver behind it all the time was thinking about the types of hunts that I could do overseas and the types of dreams I could live and um, and that's what's that's what's played out that's what's happened so um, you do only live once. This is not a this is not a dress rehearsal. You don't get another chance, and the years go real fast. God and um, they get they go they go quicker and quicker. And um, yeah, I, Mate, you wait till I, you have I, kids, um, and everyone says this. Oh, you wait uh, till you have kids. It is scary. It scares the shit out. It scares the shit out of me, mate. Don't it even grow so it. fast. It's ridiculous. <laughs> <laughs> mate, you are. Um, that is on the. That, that's it's gonna on the put agenda. A real, yeah, it's on the agenda. Yeah, it's gonna happen. You love it pretty soon. You love that's it. That's gonna really put a. That's gonna really put a dent in there. Oh, the it doesn't. It doesn't, mate. I'll be honest. I've done more since I've had kids than before kids. I know that really? sounds weird, but it it it's you make you you make plans better. I suppose you should say you, you really find out. You know what you really want to do. I suppose to say you you obviously need to have a good. Um, I've mentioned this before, but you need to have a good team. So you you know your partner or your wife yep. or. You know, you and you need to be teams because it takes both yeah. of you to get your. Yeah, you know, we're we're the ones being selfish and living our dreams, but I make That's sure I include the family in that. You know, if if we're at a chance that they can travel with me, which they've done, or you know, I go myself. Yep. You know, for the rest of the year or whatever it is, or in between hunts, you know, they they come number one, and yep. it works good. You know, you just That's I just very find encouraging. out. I just find out what I really want to do and. You know, yep. you found out that early, pushing you through school, and it's you know, I, I sort of, I always hunted in that back then, but you know, I didn't have the drive that I have now, and now you know, I work to, you know, to pay for these big hunts and that kind of stuff, and and going yep. away or or purely just working to get free time to then go and do another hunt sort of thing. So it's just a big, big merry-go-round, so to speak. Yeah, yeah, it's a lot of logistics and a lot of playing with. Playing with fairly big dollars at, at certain times, and yeah. Um, yeah, there's a lot that comes into a lot of organisation, and it's I think another key thing there is um, is you've got to have a good partner in crime, and it's everything, mate. Um, yeah, and that's where I I've, I um, have failed there in the past, and um, yeah, I, I've already been through a divorce once, and a lot of it came down to just that, just not being able to. Um, it just wasn't meshing with my. I couldn't. I couldn't do what I wanted to do, and I wasn't. I wasn't able to. Um, yeah, I just wasn't. It, it just wasn't going to work. I couldn't live the hunting life that I wanted to live and do the things that I wanted to do with um, and and work it in with that particular partner. So it just didn't work out. Yeah. So I've learned that. That was a steep learning curve, and I've learned that now, and I'm very lucky now. I've um, definitely landed on my feet, and um, you found yeah, your other half. Yeah, got a very yeah. Definitely nailed it this time. There's no doubt about it. So <laughs> it's going very well. So yeah, no, that's a critical well, thing. And, and if, you're happy. Yeah, that's the best thing. That's it. You've got to be happy, and yeah, yeah, you've got to have that. If you've got the right 
um, partner in your life that supports you and and um, you can work in with. It's yeah, it goes a long way to be able to to be able to do um, to do the things you want to do in your hunting life. That's for yeah. sure. Mate, what was your progression? You know, obviously, not that you can progress much from the Cape, but what sort of age and at what point was there a turning moment that you sort of went, right, um, this is what I'm going to go and do. I'm going to do this hunt and I'm going to do that hunt. Um, I know, you know, you and I met, geez, years ago, you know, 2010 or 2011 or something when we went and, you know, you'd already been on a f- some big stuff back then. But can you remember a certain pivoting point that that you can relate to? Yeah, I can. Um, it's a good question, and there's one, there's just one that stands out that really changed everything for me, and there hasn't been anything that's happened that's been more pivotal since then. Um, and that moment changed my life forever, um, and I I see it I see it still now as kind of the catalyst behind sort of what's yeah what's what's happened since and what I've sort of got myself into since then that moment was in 1996 um dad had done a course down based it was a course out of townsville where it's called a rural leaders course where basically primary producers and farmers and whatever sort of did it was run by the dpi i think but it was like a it was like a um leadership and um management type um uh, course, I guess, for, for primary producers. And Dad dad did it. He was down there for like a few days at a time over a period of months. And anyway, I'll never, oh, I can even remember where I was sitting on the wooden floor in our house where I grew up with mum and dad in Mission Beach. Dad walked in the door. He'd been in Townsville for a few days and he said, Ben, guess what? I met a bloke from Charters Towers and he's got deer on his property. <laughs> and I, that's exactly how he said it. I can remember the words coming out of his mouth. And that moment, just just absolutely changed everything as that soon wrecked as you. that wrecked you for life <laughs> it just it just uh, was just such a pivotal moment because before then I used to I used to absolutely fantasize about hunting goats and rabbits and foxes and those things were just might as well have been on Mars where yep. I was and I used to see photos of young blokes like Shannon James used to just clean up when he was a young fella chasing foxes and different things down there in the New England and, mm-hmm. and Victoria and whatever and I used to just fantasize about hunting those species because all I have was pigs and those those fellas are probably the opposite they probably fantasized about hunting pigs because they didn't have them down there but um, when there was suddenly a new animal introduced to the to the um, to the system I just yeah it just completely um, completely changed me and so it, it started with organizing the first hunt we went out to you've been there actually where I where I oh, hunted yep, deer yep. for the last no you're at yeah so we went on our first hunt in 96 so what's that um yeah so 20 21 years ago so and i've been i've been hunting there since then but yeah we went out on the first hunt with our longbows in 96 and you can imagine us running around there with longbows <laughs> trying to trying to get a shot at a deer um so chasing, them, chasing chittle for anyone that wants to know so you know how chittle, hard that sorry, is yeah should have made that clear <laughs> it's not the most it's not the most suitable not the best one to start with yeah, it's pretty difficult stalking conditions generally compared to other <laughs> compared to other properties that have got chittle on them. That's it's a fairly tricky sort of area to or fairly tr- tricky terrain to stalk in generally. But uh, yeah, the first couple of years hunted hard with the longbow and um, didn't have any success really. Um, and that 
that sort of changed me at that age. I guess I was 13, 12, 13, 14. I made the decision to change to a compound bow. And I think I was probably in about grade 10 when I got my first compound bow. I saved up for about six months and bought a Martin Firecat. Yep. And um, that was a big step for me because my whole life I'd been completely traditional, um, despised compounds. And I hate to admit it now, but I almost looked down on people that shot compounds. I didn't sort of, I didn't take them seriously really. And that was just because of the culture that I was in. I wasn't a personal thing. It was just where I grew up and the culture I grew up in. Um, but yeah, I made the decision to chase or to, to, to go to a compound and start hunting deer, hunting the chittle deer with a compound. And um, yeah, that was because of, not because I'd had enough of hunting with a trad bow or because I, um, because I thought it was too hard or whatever. I just wanted to hunt deer so badly and I was just so obsessed with these chittle deer and I wanted one just so, so badly that it, it changed my, I guess, the feelings in my, um, in my heart and the thoughts in my brain to, yeah, to change to a compound. So I think it was 97 I got my first compound bow and started hunting with a compound. Um, That's crazy. It's the first year that I got it. And Nin- then... 97 or 2007? Uh, 97. Yep. Yeah. So the same year I picked up a compound. Yeah. So got a Martin Firecat and uh, started hunting with that and then I hunted hard like we went out there chasing deer for like fairly regularly like around then it was probably twice or three times a year and it was in the very end of 99 that i shot my first deer with a or first deer obviously of of all time with that compound no no sights or release aid or anything back then it was just all barebow and i nailed my first deer after yeah after several years of trying and um yeah that was like apart from my first ever kill with with the longbow when I was quite young, that was that would that would be my second most treasured moment of all time. Sitting next to that, <laughs> sitting next to that stag after I smoked him with a perfect shot from about thirty yards. After all the blood, sweat, and tears and effort that had gone into chasing those deer for those for those, it seems like it seemed like a lifetime, but it was probably only about four years. But yeah, um, yeah that that really changed everything at that point in time because then I went to a compound. Um, Deer really, um, a lot of a lot of people relate to this. The young the young fellas probably not as much because they've only a lot of them will have known deer from when they started bow hunting. But mm-hmm. back then, deer weren't. Not many chittle deer had actually been shot with a bow at that stage. Like there hadn't been a hell of a lot shot at that time. There wasn't. There was hardly even a top ten. So, um, yeah, it was it was deer hunting was sort of a new thing in, in Australian bow hunting and it was, it was no nothing like what it's what it is now but um yeah that really got the I think that really got the snowball sort of happening not only with equipment with going to a compound and eventually a few years later I moved to Brisbane for uni and decided to move to sites and release aid and stuff like that and sort of progressed in terms of gear getting more modernized but just in terms of opening up doors to new species you know like thinking about other deer thinking about red deer and thinking about fallow deer and one door just opens to another and then suddenly you're thinking about new zealand and canada and africa and you you started yeah it just was a i think the floodgates really opened at that point in time when i when i went from just being a little fella chasing pigs up the cape with a long way to to yeah chasing deer with a compound that's that was yeah that was a yeah a very pivotal moment 
looking back, would there would there have been anything you would have changed or changed sooner, or you're pretty happy with the way it went? Yeah, that's an interesting question. There's yeah, there's probably there's probably two things I'd change. I think um, one. I wish that I had have actively tried to get more and better advice from people who knew how to shoot, shoot compound bows um, when I was younger. Um, even at the point where I, where I first got a set of sights and release and, and went to went to that sort of style of shooting, even at that sort of age, I really wish I had have uh, yeah more actively tried to get good advice from from the right people earlier. Um, I think in my life I. It's like driving a car. If you if you grow up driving a driving a ute around on a property where you can get away with murder and just do whatever the hell you like, and bad habits form. There's no doubt about it. You you form bad habits. Yeah. Uh, and then when you get on a road and you yeah you're you're more likely to be a bit loose. And I think it's the same with archery. If you if you are not showing things like in terms of your form and tuning bows, tuning arrows, all of like, it's almost a black magic, but there's just so much, as you know, and all of us know, there's just so much that goes into being a good shot with a bow and arrow. Um, if I hadn't have screwed around so much and tried to do things myself so much at an early age, I think I would be probably a better archer now. Yep. Um, and I definitely don't consider myself a good, I'm, I'm not a, I'm definitely not an expert on the on the matter. I can I can get things figured out and I can shoot reasonably well and usually it comes together in the bush. But I definitely I definitely um, don't consider myself an expert. There's there's plenty of guys out there that are now, um, but in those days, in the early days, there weren't so many guys around. There weren't as there weren't um, you didn't have Brad Murphy and people like that around that you could sort of reach out to and get a hand from back in those yeah. days there just there was guys around that sort of set, thought they knew what they were doing but they probably didn't um so that's probably one thing the other thing that is a bit of a regret is i um when i finished high school and moved to brisbane um i studied studied down there for quite a few years and uni should have just been a four-year exercise but it ended up being eight years altogether i sort of stuffed around and got a bit out of control there for a while and um we all do that now. change yeah we all have our stages but yeah i i um changed degrees a few times anyway it wasn't a very smooth exercise it was quite a checkered sort of period but i wish that i had have done or tried to reach out and and made more contacts down in that brisbane area and, and kept hunting and um at least making contact with other hunters in that area at that at that stage <coughs> excuse me I, it was a, it was a period where I would only go home to hunt. So I'd go home on, on uni holidays and hunt with dad and we'd go chasing pigs up the Cape or go out hunting chittle, one of the two. But I could have really done more in that period of time, those those seven or eight years. I, I, I could have been networking in that area down in southeast Queensland and sort of progressing, whereas I'd, I really didn't. I just kept doing what I was doing and stuck to myself. And it was only after I finished uni and... Um, Ended up moving back up to North Queensland and uh, got a good job and got my first ute, got a new bow after after 10 years of service from the Martin Firecat and I finally retired her and um, got a new bow and it was only at that stage where I really started to network again and meet new people and, and uh, start to get out there a bit and do a few more hunts. So yeah, I could have, I should have made different decisions at that point in time and um, 
but anyway, that's life. That's just the way it goes. Sometimes you. I reckon, yeah, I wouldn't I change you've too much. From it. Yeah, that's right. Yeah, yeah. It was all everything. I honestly believe everything happens for a reason, and those all those things happen for a reason. Definitely. But, um, there's not too much I'd change, mate. I can't complain too much. eh? What made you um, jumping right into it here? What sort of what was the step that you, I guess, become noticed? Um, and I know you're very humble, so I know you're going to struggle to tell us about this. But what, like, obviously, you know, we I met you at a show um, up ten years ago, and you know, what I guess, what what made you put yourself uh, out there in the public's eye? Was it by mistake, like, you know, or were you just, you know, did you just write a story, or can you remember the sort of the first thing that sort of put you on the map? No, not at all, because I don't. Yeah, I don't really, because I don't. Uh, yeah, how do I answer that? I don't really <laughs> think. I I never really, um, I never really saw myself as being on the map. To be honest, yeah. I guess I guess I probably am now. I've I've done a fair bit of hunting and. Um, yeah, whether you like it or not, few, you're on there now. Yeah, well, it's probably true. Yeah, I've written a fair few articles. I I I do enjoy writing articles. I can I can. One of my few skills is I can write reasonably well, so I do enjoy writing articles and putting a few photos out. And because I loved, I loved reading other people's articles when I was a kid and when I was growing up, and that was a major inspiration for me. So I, I hope that that um, does the same for the younger fellows that are coming through now. Um, but I don't. There was no moment really. I, it's it's really funny because occasionally someone will tell me, oh, I remember that story you wrote about your scrub ball back in '99 or 2000, whatever it was. But <laughs> I was just a kid then, and I just was lucky and shot a shot a bloody huge scrub ball at quite a young age, and decided to write a little story about it in the in the Australian Bow Hunting Journal. But yep. no, I don't think there was a moment, mate. I I've just been hunting fairly consistently. I did a lot when I was young, and. Um, didn't really shoot anything really amazing or out of the ordinary. I just did a lot of hunting and and then yeah, when I finished uni and started working, um, that opened the floodgates even more because I had a Ute suddenly and had a vehicle to take me places and um, and had a good job and then yeah, really since then everything's just been natural. I've just done whatever I've just done what I've done whatever my next or or aimed for whatever my next goal was really yeah. and it's just happened since then. I don't. Yeah, I just see myself as the same as all of us. Really, we're all, yeah. I don't. There's plenty of blokes out there that are much better shot than me and much better hunters than me, and I've I know them and I've seen them and I've met them. <laughs> so I, I definitely don't. Um, yeah, I don't. I don't consider myself to be any different to anyone really in terms of being on the map or whatever. It's just I've just been lucky to do a lot of hunting and I've made my own luck as well. Definitely to be able mate. to do that. No, you're beautifully humble, mate. So that's what we love about you. So well done. You answered that really good, mate. <laughs> I know I put you on the spot, <laughs> mate. Um, what was the well one? You could probably break this into two sections, but um, what was your first international hunt? And I guess what triggered to, I guess, break the boundaries and and you know get across the water. The first one was. Um... The first international hunt was South Africa in 2010. Um, it was the first time I ever hunted overseas. The attraction of Africa. Have you been there yet? Nope. I can't remember. I'm going to yeah. be completely honest here. Africa doesn't do much for me. Okay. Plains game. Yep. Oh, look, I'd do it if I, you know, if I, for some reason, I want a trip or something like that. But yeah, 
I'm just going to be very honest about that. Uh, people might yeah, sort of and I've got other mates who I've got other mates who are exactly the same. I can think of a few other mates that are, have exactly the same thoughts. Um, but I think I can't remember what the catalyst was. I know one catalyst would have been that um, I'd been working in my career sort of my sort of career job then at a, for a couple of years. So a things like that became more affordable and more achievable. Yeah. But I just can't remember exactly what the catalyst was. Um, I went with um, Lachlan Cook and uh, Michael Jens. Two, oh, yeah. two I, old school mates I do remember that trip. Yeah. So Jensie and Jensie and Cookie are both, um, and myself were both used to run around as kids at Tully Bowen. So we're all all from that sort of breeding ground. Mm-hmm. And um, Albert and Kate Gale, who you'd know as well. Yeah. Albo is also a also a Tully fella. He's not there anymore, but yeah, he's, he owned Black Stump Broadheads for a number of years and he's a very, very accomplished bow hunter and his wife, Kate, is as well. I can't remember what the catalyst was, but we basically just formed a group. I think Cookie might have been the... He was he was pretty good at organising things back then and I think he might have sort of got the ball rolling. But yeah, we just... We all wanted to go to Africa. It was... Africa is a place that's... Particularly South Africa is a place that's... Um, it's affordable... And it offers um, amazing value for the amount of the, the experience that you get and yeah. the, the potential for hunting that you get, the, the potential for shots. And yeah, definitely can't argue take, with that. To take amazing animals, yeah. And we had an amazing trip. We, um, yeah, we really, we really cleaned up. I didn't clean up personally. I seemed to be at the blind where nothing went to every single day, um, whereas Gen Z... Gen Z in his usual form and yep. elbow as well that trip were just absolutely on fire. Like if there was a if there was a huge warthog boar in that in that entire area, it was going to one of their blinds on any given day. Like they just cleaned up. Um, Cookie and I did it a little bit tougher. We just didn't, yeah. And that's the thing about Africa, and that was one thing I learnt that trip. You'd, no matter how many photos you see and and articles you read in magazines and videos you watch and things you see on YouTube and whatever. It's it's definitely not easy, and it is just absolutely luck of the draw. There's no consistency there whatsoever. You just you might be lucky, you may not. Anything can walk in, and just as uh, with the same likelihood as absolutely nothing walking in. Mm. Um, it was obviously mostly blind hunting. We both did, or all of us did some um, did some stalking as well. Um, I had a, I had shot opportunities on a few different animals stalking, but not animals that I wanted to take. They're mostly females and, and other things that I just that just weren't on the weren't on the hit list but yeah that was the that was just the first one I guess it was mostly because it was um it was it was affordable and offered the most um bang for buck I guess at that at that stage yeah um and I'll never forget it it's an amazing place like it was just an absolute dream of a trip we we all had an absolute ball there was there's plenty of stories that come out of that trip and um yeah there isn't been to a fair few countries now and there is nothing that really compares to sitting around the fire on a cold winter night drinking beers around the fire talking about what happened that day and listening to the zebras whooping in the background and um it's there's nothing that compares to that africa is very very special it doesn't matter whether you're in south africa or or elsewhere i'm, I'm sure that there's more wild places to the north of south africa but um yeah, it is. It is very special, um, and very special memories for me. Um, and yeah, that's where it, 
that was the first overseas trip anyway. That was that was where the that was when I really got a taste for it and really really um yeah, that was the that I get like again that was another turning point. That was another opening of the floodgates and that sort of opened my mind to other things and started to think about Canada and yeah, other other potential um other potential hunts. Hey guys, thanks for listening to the Hunting Camp Down Under podcast. Be sure to follow us on Instagram at Hunting Camp Down Under. Send me a direct message with any general questions or further information on any of the topics that were discussed during the podcast. Or if you have a great story to tell and would like to share it, be sure to hit me up. I'd love to have you on the podcast. You can also email me at huntingcampdownunder at gmail.com. That's it from me this week. May the hunting gods be with you on your next adventure. Bye for now.